Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 11 of the ROSC podcast. Before we get started with the podcast, I wanted to give you a quick reminder to check out the sign up for our newsletter at www.rosc.life. That's www.rosc.life, where you can join the conversation and sign up for our weekly newsletter. There's no spamming. It's once a week, and what these newsletters will give you the benefit of are a couple of things. Number one, you're going to be getting weekly compact insights, three insights for every blog post and podcast that we release for that particular week. And these will be actionable items that you can take to work or to your life and start implementing. If you don't have time to go through the philosophy, through our written pieces or our podcast, at the very least, you have things you could put into action that will actually begin to create the change that you're looking for in your life and the people around you. Number two, you will have exclusive firsthand access to the upcoming developing projects that are going to be coming out over the next few months. The first one is our cardiac arrest management app. And there's a lot that's going into this and we will hopefully be having our beta being released soon. The people who are signed up of our community will be part of the beta testing team and you will have an opportunity to give your feedback, give your input, and we will have the opportunity to implement the things that you might potentially tell us that might better the app, and you'll be considered one of the founding members of the app. Another one of the things we're going to be rolling out, hopefully in the near future, is a community of all of you members, a place where you can all connect with each other, debrief with each other, engage in peer coaching, peer recognition, co-authorship, co-leadership, be able to discuss cases and interpersonal scenarios in a sort of gated exclusive community of people who are serious about getting constructive with each other, people who are serious about creating a paradigm shift within healthcare and making an environment that is better for yourself and for everyone around you. And the last thing for now that you'll have access to is upcoming information about an educational platform that we want to create, not only for you, but by you. An educational platform that is exclusive to the members of the community where members can create within the platform. It can be an area within healthcare that you're comfortable with, something that you feel like you're an expert in, something you feel like you're well-versed in or, or an area that needs work. But the ultimate goal is for you, the creator, to be able to get recognized and compensated for the work that you do in the academic space. And when I say academic, it could be as huge as a publication or it could be as simple as a little lecture. But the point is you deserve the recognition for the work that you put in and we want to be part of that process. But enough with the announcements, now on to the podcast. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the idea of fear versus reverence. And the three main insights that I want you to pay attention to are, number one, taking a moment to reflect on a situation or a number of situations that may have unearthed your struggles or insecurities whenever you're in your stressful working environment. Number two, ask yourself in that moment, whether it be quietly or out loud, what you wish you could say to yourself from the third person perspective in that moment. And number three, keep an eye out for a colleague from your team or outside of your team that may need those same words and then see how the space for them to communicate might open up. So I was recently involved in taking care of a trauma patient in the trauma bay and the trauma senior resident was speaking very sharply and very condescendingly to the trauma junior resident. 
it got to a point where I felt the need to say something. So when I had a moment, I pulled the junior resident aside and basically told her I would be very careful at how I let other people and colleagues, particularly seniors, talk to me. And her first reaction was, could you give me an example of what you're talking about? And that really threw me off because I thought she would understand what I was saying. And it made me immediately question, like, am I the only one who's noticing this? Did she not notice it? It's just me. Um, so I reiterated to her what I was talking about, specifically what had just occurred. And I saw a sense of relief on her face when I said this. And she had said back to me, yeah, I thought it was going to get better after intern year, but it really didn't. And the only way I could describe this is the look on her face when she first asked, can you give me an example? And then the look of relief. And then her saying, I thought it was going to get better, but it wouldn't. It almost looked like a victim of like domestic violence. It looked like that same weight, that same burden on her shoulders, that same look on her face. But the other thing about it was there was a level of relief on her face as well because she was given an opportunity to open up. And I think what made it so shocking initially when she had said, I, can you give me an example? I think it's because she was not ready and not used to an opportunity to talk about being on the receiving end of something like that. It changed her demeanor for the remainder of the shift. Let's put it that way. Now, you might listen to this and be surprised. You might listen to this and also kind of be angry like I am because you've seen it happen. And you know all too well that this is how the way this is the way it is in medicine. And you might also be thinking, yeah, this is the way it is. But what now? Like we're all here witnessing it. And this is one of those situations that I usually try to push myself away from and try to push everyone else away from the situation where you look at something happening outside of you and you know it's happening wrong and you can't do anything about it. So you end up commiserating with other people. And that's one of the things that I've talked about not wanting this entire community to be. I don't want it to be a place where people just commiserate about how things should be. But in the spirit of creating an environment among us where action can be taken and we can actually implement change, what you can do is part of those three insights. Think about that situation from the perspective of you having gone through it, because I'm willing to bet nine out of 10 people listening to this have been on the receiving end of such behavior. And if you took a moment to think back to those situations, I feel like me personally, a lot of times I look back at those situations and judge myself and wonder how I'm going to avoid it the next time and wonder if I'm cut out for this because it's so normal. You don't think for it to change. And you also don't think that you're as one person able to make that change. But now you have the opportunity to sort of change the script. You can look at that situation and say, how would I deal with that differently? How would I put a patch in that? And when you reflect on that, when you think about what do I wish was said to me if I was in that situation, and I'm going to just on a small tangent here, say again, that we don't often think that way. We don't often ask ourselves the questions when we're on the receiving end of what I wish someone would say to me, because in the moment we probably feel it's useless because no one's going to say it to us. And this is how the culture is. So we don't think that way. But now when that we're in the third person perspective and we're in the leadership perspective, and again, remember the definition of being a leader, that it's not about rank or authority. It's about taking care of the person to the left and to the right of you. Think about that situation and ask yourself what you wish someone would have said to you if you were in that situation. And then offer that person the thing you wish was said to you and watch what happens. What ends up happening is that person 
you you shatter their preconception that this is the way it is and what i need to do is learn to deal with it what i need to do is be hardened and then you pass it on you pass it on partly because you feel hurt and you need to feel whole so you feel like you need to give it to someone else that's sort of a traumatic way to deal with it but you also become hardened and handed over because you've convinced yourself that that's the way it is and if you work hard enough to get through that dirt and get to the other side, you sort of falsely validate to yourself, look, I did it, I made it through, and look how good I am. You need to go through it also. And this is where that can get broken, and you can make that fork in the road on an individual level, but enough individual levels, and it becomes more prevalent. What you do in that situation by offering up that ability for that person to open up about it, or forget opening up about it, just letting that person know that, hey, you saw what happened, you don't agree with it, and you think that there's a better way. What it does by offering up the words to that person that you wish were said to you is it doesn't change the situation with that aggressor. It doesn't change the way that aggressor would act. We're here to talk about things that we have control over, and sometimes you don't have control over how someone else acts. By offering up those words, you're telling that person you're recognized, I see what's going on, you're not being ignored. And that alone gives an opportunity for that victim, for that recipient of such behavior to understand that just from the just from breaking that fourth wall, just from expressing recognition that that's occurring, it gives that person hope. It gives that person the thought that, hey, this isn't the only way, even though we know that, but we fall into a learned helplessness. And by just planting that seed, you might not have changed anything about the aggressor you might not have changed anything about that situation having occurred. And you might not ever see the person you're talking to ever again. But because you just planted the possibility in someone else's mind, that could very well give them the thought when they're in a position to be able to not act that way with someone. Or it might give them the impetus to approach someone else that they see being treated that way and say the same thing to them that you had said to them. What it does is break the assumption that this is the way it is this is the way it's always been this is the way it's going to be what needs to happen is i need to tough and tough through it and this is where things that we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about in future posts and podcasts this is where it all comes together this is where it starts to gel this idea that we wish that those words were said to us but they weren't it becomes difficult trying to be that for someone else especially when we feel so spent but if we take that moment to be that for someone else It'll give us a little bit of a boost ourselves because we did something good. But what it also does is it allows the space for that person and anyone that we talk to in that way, it allows them to be more vulnerable. And the way they approach us in every other interaction after that is going to be different. It's going to be better. That is going to create the better environment for us. Let's say the person that you come to the aid of is a consultant or someone on a different unit. And in other situations, you may have interacted with that person and it may have been rough or it may have been a little bit confrontational or it may have been like thin ice or whatever. But because you approached them and recognized something that they were going through and you offered them the possibility of a different way of thinking, the possibility that another way does exist, that when that person interacts with you again, they are going to remember that about you. They're going to interact with you in that way. But what it ultimately does is it invites the ability to be vulnerable and it invites the opportunity for people who are 
considered to be outsiders because of the tribalism that exists within medicine, to now feel part of a cohesive team. What we as a tribe need to remember is that both fear and reverence can result in compliance, but only one of them results in respect. We're not here to change things overnight. We're here to represent an alternative. We're here to provide a fork in the road that will ultimately end up extinguishing the problematic standard, right? The status quo exists because it's the status quo, because it's established. The status quo very rarely, if ever, makes a huge sea change. It always takes chipping away into a new status quo. The status quo exists because it's layered over and over and over again, and it's it's fortified. In order to change that, you need to provide the alternative and allow the layers to build on that alternative. And you may always, for the remainder of your life, always have that competition between the old status quo and the new status quo, between the toxic way and the better way. But until we get to a point where the better way can easily be chosen, we all have work to do. And now for this week's question of the week. For this week. This question comes from TikTok user Julie's an RN. Now I'm not entirely sure who she is or what she does, but if I had to guess, I have a hunch that her name is Julie, and I believe she's an RN. And so Julie's question comes from something I recently mentioned about what the definition of optimism actually is. And her question was simply, can you explain what toxic positivity is? I don't really get it. False optimism or false positivity is when you think everything is fine, yet everything is actually on fire. Um, some examples are classically, you know, if you feel depression, for example, and you say, no, I'm not depressed. Everything's great. Look how great things are in my life. Everything is fine. I'm not depressed. Trying to talk yourself into believing something else. Um, if you have a resuscitation that is chaotic and loud and disorganized and you say, nah, it went great. These are tough situations. And no, it was fine. Everything was great. Blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff. That's not being optimistic. Optimism is not denying the problem exists. I think part of that may come from the preconceived notion that pessimism or negativity is saying that something's a problem. I think that's the fallacy where it comes from. What optimism actually is, is taking the problem, saying here's the problem, and then looking at the problem as the potential starting point for a solution or possible solutions what real pessimism is, is seeing the problem, saying, oh, this problem exists, this sucks, I, I, I'm terrible, or whatever, and not getting past the problem, just seeing the problem as the wall. For example, recently, a friend of mine gave me some feedback on some of the stuff that I've been posting and videos and podcasts and stuff like that, and gave me a piece of feedback on something that I might want to change. Now, the old me might have looked at that and said, they're telling me I need to change something. That means I'm deficient in that thing. If I'm deficient, that means I suck. And then I'd get discouraged. Now, false optimism would say, nah, that problem doesn't exist. It's totally fine. Everything's great. And you can see how that could be problematic. Real optimism would be, okay, this is a problem that I have. And if this is the problem, what would, say, the opposite of that problem look like? Or what would a potential change be that would remove that problem? That's optimism. Taking a problem and seeing the possible solution to move forward from it. And I think that's a much healthier form of approaching things. 
So what we see in shifting the definition of optimism and fully understanding what optimism actually is, is it does a couple of things. Number one, it puts us in a position to take action. And that's what everything is about. It's not about pontificating. It's not about having abstract ideas. It's not about discussing things. It's about coming to a point where we can implement an action to start to make a change. Because again, perfectionism is sort of the enemy of good, as you may have heard that said before. The goal is not to reach a solution that is a panacea. The goal is to reach a point where you take an action to start to make a change. And that might change your trajectory by one degree, but now you're on a different trajectory and you continue to make that change until you get to the direction you want to go. And that's anything in life, whether it be a resuscitation or something you're dealing with in your own life. That's what the point of optimism is in the context of a problem that you've come up against. So that's the first benefit, bringing yourself to a point where you take action. The second benefit is getting yourself to a point where you no longer fear coming across something that is a negative, coming across something that you'd consider to normally be a failure. Because now your definition of optimism allows you to look at that problem not as a wall or not as a stopping point or not as a point of reprocessing, but as a point for you to reflect and say, what change can I make to alter the outcome? The third benefit is it teaches you to practice extreme ownership. Now, put it simply, this is to just blame yourself. And the reason I like saying that is because it's very jarring for people to hear that, to blame yourself for everything. Now, this doesn't actually mean to to criminalize yourself or accuse yourself or to literally blame yourself, but it is to ask yourself the question, of what can I do to change this outcome? The funny thing and the ironic thing is that we often feel like ridding ourselves of blame frees us. But what it actually does is trap us because we get to we get ourselves into a position where nothing's ever our fault. It's always someone else's fault. And what that actually does is put the control in someone else's hand. If we start to turn inwards and say, what about this situation did I contribute? What could I have done differently to change this scenario? It puts all the control in your hands. That leads to freedom because you can, you're can you training yourself to look at every situation and say, what can I do to make this better? And when you have control, then you have control. We'll see you next time.